invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. We're going to begin reading at verse 62 and we'll continue on into chapter 28 through verse 10. Matthew chapter 27, we'll begin reading in verse 62. Let's give our attention to God's word this morning. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away. And tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid and tell my brothers to go to Galilee And there they will see me. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Our Heavenly Father, this morning we come to you in a world that is full of sorrow and death. There's death in Ukraine. There's death, Lord, in uh, Nigeria where people are being, the church is being persecuted. There's death, Lord, uh, all around us. And some of us feel that particularly this morning, whether because of the loss of a loved one, Lord, or we're grieving as a community as Lord, we saw just a tragic death of Patrick Luoya. And Father, um, it seems endless. And there's so much sadness and hopelessness. And it seems as though death wins. And uh, Father, I, I just pray that today you would help us to lay hold of the gospel and a living Savior and to see that the resurrection is is for today and for our hope and our comfort. It's for our community. And that Jesus, the living Lord, has begun a work that will end in a new heaven and a new earth. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. At 4 a.m. this past Friday, Jeremy Muhlenberg my cousin's son-in-law, 44-year-old father and husband, passed away from cancer. 
Uh, he leaves behind his heartbroken wife, Heidi, and their five kids and one little grandbaby. Uh, in her latest Caring Bridge page, this is what Heidi wrote. A little over a year ago, my husband began this post with a confession. Quote, God in his infinite wisdom decided that cancer should be a part of the Jeremy Muhlenberg family's lives. End quote. Today we confess that same God and that same sovereign wisdom. Early this morning, our sovereign Lord took Jeremy to his eternal rest. We grieve. Oh, do we grieve. But God in his tender leading gives us the confession, just as our husband and father, it is well with my soul. And she ended uh, the post with those words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Uh, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the question that uh, we want to ask this morning is, uh, how can we talk about victory in the face of so much death and destruction and heartache in the world? As I said in our prayer, our community is grieving, and, and this is just one death, um, and we're surrounded by death, and, and some of you are facing a first Easter without a, a loved one. And, and the pressing issue that, um, that, that death presents to us is, is exactly what actually wins, death or life? I'm sure there are many people wandering uh, the devastated cities of Ukraine uh, this morning who... Would, would think that death is winning. And from every appearance, uh, to humanize, it seems like death does win. Um, we, we go to the funeral, and then we lay our loved ones in the ground, and we walk away, and we will never see them again in this world. And so how can we say that, that there's victory for us? And not just for our loved ones, but for ourselves. We are, um, we are dying people, all of us mortal. And if we're honest, we, we couldn't blame the world for scoffing at us. If, we, if we're honest, we, right, the, the world, um, well, it would make sense that they would, they would shake their heads at um, people like us who fool ourselves into thinking that there's anything more after the grave and that life wins. And so the question that we're asking this morning is, what is the, what is the basis for our faith? What, what are the reasons that we have to actually believe that Jesus Christ is alive and the difference that makes. This morning I'm going to be looking at um, sort of the, the testimonies of the resurrection, the, the reasons to believe it's true. Tonight we're going to be looking at um, the difference that it makes, and we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 15 and others as we look at the significance, the so what question. Why does it matter? But this morning uh, I want to just look at um, the facts of the Christian faith because that's what I love about the Christian faith. It's, it's not a theology it's simply or an ideology. It's, it's a, it is a system of belief rooted in reasons and founded on facts, objective historical facts. And, and on the basis of that foundation and on the basis of those facts, it makes, it makes preposterous, bold claims about the whole universe and about human history. Um, Richard John Newhouse once said this. He says, if, if what Christians say about Good Friday is true, then it is simply the truth about everything. And, and we can, of course, say the same concerning the incarnation. If what Christians say about the incarnation is true, that God himself has actually come to this world, well, then it's the truth about everything. It changes everything. And, of course, we say the same about the resurrection. 
Everything you see has meaning only in relation to these things and this man, the man Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so the question is, is it true? Are there sufficient evidences that warrant joyful confidence even in the midst of sorrow and pain and loss and death? Do we have valid reasons to believe as dying men and women that death is not our final destiny at all, but rather that we've been born again to a living hope through Jesus Christ, who's been raised from the dead? And one of the things I I love about the Gospels is that they are written specifically to give us evidences, to give us reasons to believe. As John will say at the end of his Gospel, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And Matthew writes his Gospel for the same purpose. And one of the wonderful things about the, the Gospel accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is how they ring true. No matter where you strike the story, it always rings true. And we're going to see that this morning as we just take a small little part of the, uh, the resurrection story and we'll look at first the testimony of the sealed tomb, that everything about the story is telling uh, the same thing, that Jesus Christ has in fact, in truth, been raised from the dead. And so the testimony of the sealed tomb. So Matthew has just given us a thorough account of the death of Jesus Christ. And he tells about how um, Jesus died on the cross and, and uh, the, uh, Joseph came and wrapped the body in Jesus and laid him in a tomb. Uh, Jesus really did die. The, the evidence is irrefutable. Uh, there were so many witnesses to it. His own disciple John, his own mother, there were others there. The crowd that was gathered around, the centurion who testified this truly was the Son of God, the soldier who put the spear in his side, uh, the women who prepared his body for burial. There's no disputing the fact that he died. One of the, one of the ways that uh, some people have tried to get around the idea of Jesus' resurrection is to say, well, he didn't really die on the cross. He, just w- he was unconscious, and, and it was a, mistaken, uh, a case of mistaken death. He, he wasn't really dead. Well, there's simply no way uh, you, can, you can say that uh, if the gospel accounts are true, and there's no reason to, d- to doubt that they are. Everything about the story says that Jesus was dead. But even with the dead body of Jesus laying now in a tomb, uh, the enemies of Christ are not, they're not resting easy. They, they, they're nervous. And one of them remembers that Jesus had said something about um, that after three days he would rise again. And so they go to Pilate and they say, sir, we remember how this imposter said that after three days he'll rise again. So, so order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal away his body. And the, the last fraud will be worse than the first. Right? In their mind, Jesus was a fraud, and, and uh, it would be devastating now. Uh, they finally have put this thing to an end, and if the disciples would steal away the body and say, he was, he's been raised, just like he said, well, that could be cataclysmic. And so, um, so Pilate says, well, go ahead then. And, uh, and so they did. They, they sealed the tomb, and they post guards, armed guards by the tomb, and um, they must have been very pleased with themselves. Uh, they had thought of everything. They, they had outwitted the enemy in every way. Jesus is dead and buried, and no one is going to be able to possibly break into that tomb and steal the body away and start this, uh, this story about a resurrection. Uh, they make it impossible for Jesus' body to be stolen. Well, good for them. Because notice what they accomplished in that. 
Uh, in the providence of God, you see, they're actually validating the reality of Christ's resurrection. Um, by having Jesus killed in the most public manner possible, there's no denying he was dead, and then by sealing the tomb in the most um, thorough way possible, they have assured that, well, no one can possibly uh, say that Jesus' body has been stolen. It's, it's not possible for Jesus' body to be stolen. The only possible explanation for an empty tomb is the thing they never had counted on, a glorious resurrection, where Jesus in a glorified body simply leaves. And that's exactly what happened. And the testimony you see of the sealed tomb puts a lie to their, their own story after the resurrection where they're going to say, oh, well, they came and stole the body. It's not possible. J.C. Rouse says they didn't realize that unwittingly they were providing the most complete evidence of the truth of Christ's resurrection. They were making it impossible to suggest that there was any deception or imposition. Their seal, their guard, their precautions were all to become witnesses in a few hours that Christ had risen. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. Jesus always wins. Yeah, the testimony of the terrified guards as well. The, the day of resurrection was not a happy Easter morning for these men. Uh, they had been spending all night guarding the tomb, uh, probably thinking it was, it was a fool's errand. I mean, uh, the disciples had run like scared sheep when Jesus was crucified. They didn't, hadn't shown themselves to be uh, outstanding men of valor. And so the idea that they would come and, and try to do something like stealing Jesus' body uh, was highly unlikely. But they were there under orders and waiting for the night to be done, maybe for the next shift to come along. And, uh, and suddenly everything falls apart. Uh, there's a great earthquake. And if, if you've ever been in an earthquake, I don't recommend it, but uh, it, it is, it is, there's nothing like an earthquake. Uh, when we were in California, we had several of them. There's nothing like an earthquake. It's its own deal. I mean, where the ground you're standing on is, is doing this and moving like that. Uh, there's no place to go, right, to for firmness, and this is a great earthquake, but that isn't what terrifies them. What terrifies them is a heavenly messenger, an angel from God, who appears. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And the text says they were in fear of him. And rightfully so. We, we need to be careful not to make these guys sort of in our minds uh, comic characters, keystone cops, kind of stumbling and bumbling over themselves. That is not what a, what a military man of that day would strike you. There's nothing comic about him. These are hardened men. They don't frighten easily. The only reason they panic is, is because, well, there's reasons to panic. There's a holy angel from God, and they've never met holiness before. They, and he's, he's wrapped in the beauty of heaven, and, and the, the light of purity and truth beams from him. Uh, it's overwhelming. Their whole pagan world collapses in a sense. Their pagan unbelief. This is not uh, something they had ever imagined before. There really is another world, another realm, and an angel has come now in, 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 the, in the holiness and the glory of heavenly things. This angel sits there, rolls the stone away, 
and has a seat. And the text says, for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. In the presence of pure holiness and glory, these hardened men simply become unconscious. Their bodies shut down, overwhelmed by what they've just seen. And their terrified, you see, reaction is, is perfectly understandable only if the gospel story is true. These are not faint men. These are not, these are not weaklings. They don't, um, they don't give way easily. It is not the earthquake that overwhelmed them. It was, it was the angel of God, an angel from heaven. You see, again, every part of the story rings true. No matter where you strike it, uh, here's just this little detail. They, 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 they become unconscious and fall over like dead men. Why are they lying there? Why are they laying there? Because the angel came. The story rings true. The angel who rolls the stone away and announces what has taken place. And that's what we look at next. The testimony of the angel. Must have been quite a sight for Mary Magdalene and and, uh, Mary, uh, the mother of James and John. As they come to see the tomb, they are are grieving uh, because, you see, the, the, the unthinkable has happened. The man that they knew and loved, the one that they, they believed was the Messiah of God, the one that, that they were able to call Lord, he, he died. He was killed, murdered, crucified on a cross by his enemies. The one that they were convinced was going to redeem Israel, the one that they were convinced was the answer to all the promises of the Old Testament, the one they believed had the power to forgive sin, God himself. He was dead in a tomb. And everything they had believed concerning him and, and, and every, all the hopes that they had because of him for Israel and for themselves, it was all as dead as the body of Christ. I don't know if it's a, a, a possible for us to comprehend the devastation and the loss that these women were feeling as they make their way to the tomb. It's not just the loss of a loved one. It's the loss of everything that, he, that they had believed that he was, and, and it's the loss of what they believed to be true about God and about his word and about their hope based on that word and, and rooted in Jesus for Israel and for their own salvation. All that was gone. But now these women on this early Sunday morning who loved Jesus and had believed so fervently, now they come to say their final goodbye and carrying spices to anoint his dead body. But God had other plans. I don't know if the earthquake happened when they were there or right before they got there, but it must have been quite a sight either way to see these, these soldiers lying around unconscious and an angel of God there in an empty tomb. And the angel said, Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Now, we've heard those words many times, but don't let familiarity breed contempt. Uh, you know, one of the, the Bible is all true, and all the words are wonderful, but there are some phrases, like, it is finished, that stand for the whole story, and, and this is, is like that. He is risen, is at the very core of the Christian message and the gospel message. He has risen. And the angels invite the women to see it for themselves. I I just love the kindness of God in that. That the angel doesn't just ask them to believe, but gives them warrant for for their faith, invites them. 
There, there are three evidences here for, for the, 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 the faith of these women and for the faith of the disciples and for our faith. The, the testimony of the angel who says he is not here, this holy angel, he's risen. And then the invitation of the, and, and the empty tomb, see for yourself. There it is. Go look. Right where the dead body was, there's no dead body, there's just folded grave clothes. And a reminder that this is exactly what Jesus had told them. And, and had they ever known Jesus to misspeak? Did Jesus ever in the, in the gospel account say, I'm sorry, that wasn't quite right. I um, wasn't clear in, in, about that or I, I, I didn't get that exactly correct. Never ever. Every single word of Jesus is pure gold. Uh, every word is absolute truth. And so when the angel says, remember, this is what he told you would happen. Well, that's an incredible testimony. It is what he had told them. And they can believe everything Jesus says. You see, God wants us, his people, to have an absolute conviction about this. This is not just a story, a, a nice tradition. But, but God wants us to, to be convinced that the the tomb where Jesus was laid is empty and that the, the body of Jesus was gloriously raised. Christ has risen. J.C. Ryle says, It is a striking circumstance that of all the facts of our Lord's earthly ministry, none are so incontrovertibly established as the fact that he rose again. The wisdom of God, who knows the unbelief of human nature, has provided a great cloud of witnesses on the subject. Never was there a fact which the friends of God were so slow to believe, and yet in spite of the unbelief, or excuse me, um, so slow to believe, never was there a fact which the enemies of God were so anxious to disprove. And yet in spite of the unbelief of friends and the enmity of foes, the fact was thoroughly established. It, should be it would be impossible to prove anything in the world if we refused to believe that Jesus rose again. It's a message to be received, to be believed. And it's a message to share. Note that the first command of the angel after come and see is go and tell. See for yourself and go quickly and tell. Tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. That's the content. Christ has risen. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee and there you will see him. And so the, the, the women believed the angel. And with fear and joy quickly went on their way, the text says. Fear and joy, what an interesting combination. The fear not being, in a sense, just frightened, but, but overwhelming awe. And, and mixed with a little terror that, that God was here. God was on the move. And overwhelmed with joy because they believed the message, Jesus was not dead. Jesus was alive. And then the most miraculous thing, Jesus met them himself. Verse 9, behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Wouldn't you have loved to heard how he said that or to see, to see his face? I would think with a loving smile, I've conquered. I'm the king. He loves these women. Greetings. And what did they do? They did not throw their arms around his neck, did they? They didn't rush to him and give him a big hug. 
What they did is they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. This is not just, Jesus, we can't believe you're alive. This is, Jesus, we believe that you are the Son of God. And on their knees, right, face down, they lay hold of his feet. And they worship. They worship the risen Jesus Christ. This is their Lord. This is their God. Their faith has been replaced with sight. They see the truth with their own eyes, and worship is the only possible response. And again, you see, it just rings true. Because if, if, if the Gospels are true concerning the identity of Jesus Christ, for these women simply to go and embrace Him, it just wouldn't ring true. It, it would be flat. You, could, you would embrace anyone who's raised from the dead. Jesus is not anyone. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is God, the God-man, and it is right to worship. It's, it, it is the only, only appropriate response. Friends, the story is true, so what do we do with it? As I was just reading this, again, it, it struck me how similar the angel's message to the women in verse 7 is, is similar to um, Christ's words to us and, and to, well, to our situation. We have, we have a similar command given to us, go and tell. Right? The angel says, go and tell his disciples. Jesus says, go and tell the world. We, we, it's the mission of the church to proclaim, to let the world know of this, this earth-shattering, history-transforming event. This is a message to be shared. Jesus Christ has risen. Death has been conquered in Christ. And everything is going to be made new. It's a word that the, that the world desperately needs to hear in this war-torn and, and, and wicked, dying world where awful, tragic things happen. Loved ones are taken too early. A path, you see, we, we get to announce this astounding message that a, a path to life has been blown through the pitiless wall of death in this world. Jesus Christ has conquered. There's no other religion that touches a message like that. There's no other faith system or ideology that has such a bold, preposterous claim and rooted on such wonderful, foundational facts. This is everlasting life that Jesus has come to accomplish and did accomplish. And so we have a similar command, go and tell, and a similar promise. The angel says to the women, he's, he's going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. They don't see him immediately. Of course, they get the pleasure. But tell, you, tell the disciples that, that he's going to be in Galilee, and, and they should go there, and they'll see him there. Well, if you just take that word Galilee and replace it with the word heaven, it's exactly what we have Jesus has gone on before us, and we being the disciples have the same, um, the same promise. We will see him there, face to face. Jesus in truth, Jesus in flesh. When he comes again or when we go home to be with him. And so we, we are in this moment now where the resurrection has happened and, and, and Jesus has gone before us and we are now headed in that direction. I, um, there's, a, there's a 
there's a song, I think I've quoted it before, it just gets stuck in my mind, um, where it's a song, it's a, it's a, a spiritual, and, and the song uh, the lady is singing about uh, her friend who's about to die, and, and, and the song goes, just tell him, uh, when you saw me, I was on my way. Just tell him when you saw me, I was on my way. That's, that should be our life. We're on our way. We're, we're headed there. We're moving in that direction. We're going to see Jesus face to face. And, and, and the, command, the, the angel's message ends in a similar way, uh, because, or the experience ends in a similar way. They did see Jesus face to face, and we will see Jesus face to face, and worship will be the result. Absolute adoring worship. When you see Jesus face to face, I, I don't think you're going to just run up and hug him. I think you're going to fall down on your face and worship his glory, his goodness, his love, his truth, his grace. He won't be your buddy. He'll be your Lord, your God, who loved you and gave his life for you and was raised to life for your justification. And friends, what, what, is, what is yet to take place, we can begin to experience even now by faith. Because the Jesus that was raised from that tomb, uh, that Jesus who's gone on before us to be with the Father, that Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That Jesus is with us today by his Spirit. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, better for you that I go, that they would have richer, more deeper, true experiences of the person and the reality of Jesus Christ and the victory of Jesus Christ when he's ascended in heaven and his spirit is in their heart. And that's what we have today. You see, that's the resurrection means that the spirit has been given to you and, and Christ is present to you. We just need to believe it. We need to lay hold of it. I remember lying awake in bed one night. Um, I was just weighed down. In my spirit, I just sitting there wrestling with myself, probably two, three in the morning, and, and I decided to counsel myself the way I would counsel someone else. And so I figured instead of trying to define my circumstances by what I feel in the moment, what about if I would try to define my circumstances by what I believe to be true? And so I asked myself, what is the truest thing that you know? And immediately the answer came to my mind as sharply as if it had been spoken, Jesus is alive. It's the truest thing I know. And that truth changes everything. Immediately the heaviness begins to lift, began to lift because you see, if, if Jesus is alive, alive, then my life is not in my own hands, and I'm not left to my own uh, weak, paltry uh, attempts, but, but my life is in the hand of a sovereign Lord, Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is alive, it means then that there is full and free forgiveness for all of my sin. If Jesus is alive, there is sufficient grace for all my trials. Because I have a friend who knows just what I need and is able and willing to do it. His name is Jesus. And friend, what is true for me is absolutely true for you. Do you know any truth more deep and profound and glorious than that truth? Jesus is alive. And if that is true, it changes everything. Some of you are here this morning with broken, grieving hearts because you've lost loved ones. Jesus is alive 
Let that truth minister to you because if Jesus is alive, then your loved ones who've died in him are alive too. And we will see them again with our Savior and we will worship Christ and we will celebrate with our loved ones. Some of you, your, your marriage is on the rocks and you don't know how to fix it. Friend, if Jesus is alive, he can fix your marriage. If Jesus is alive, then there is all the grace that you need to to walk that road and to repent of your sin and, and to see your, your spouse repent of theirs. The gospel is sufficient for your marriage if Jesus is alive. If your children are not walking with the Lord, Jesus is alive. And that means that that Jesus who sought you out and found you when you were not looking for him, that Jesus is able and willing to do the same for your children. Keep praying. Keep speaking the truth. Jesus is alive. It changes everything. Even when you stand by the grave of a loved one, we can say, oh, death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? Yes, the sting of death is sin. It's true, and the strength, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Son of God, the one who loved us and gave his life for us, the one who was raised to life so that all he accomplished could be given and applied to us. And Father, I thank you for the testimony that we have in Scripture of the fact of Christ's resurrection and that this living Jesus now is at the right hand of God interceding for us. He knows us by name. He loved us before the foundation of the world. He will complete the work that he has begun in us. And none of our sin or weakness or backsliding is going to be able to overcome his power. And Father, I thank you that because Jesus is alive, we can have comfort today as we grieve the loss of loved ones. I thank you so much that life wins in Christ. And Father, I thank you that because Jesus is alive, we can have strength in trials and hope in hard things. Because the fact of Christ's resurrection and his life today changes everything. It's, it's the truth about everything. And so, Jesus, I pray that you give us the ability to believe by your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus Christ, we love you, and we look forward to the day when we will see you, Jesus, face to face in your glorified body and join you forever in a new heaven and earth. And Jesus, I pray that you would help us, Lord, by your power, all authority and power belong to you, to walk in faith, to live in truth, to be at peace, because Jesus, you are alive and you're coming again. May that day come soon. And all God's people said, amen. Let's respond to the word by standing together. And we're going to sing, sing choirs of New Jerusalem as we celebrate the victory of our Lord. And then we'll have the benediction, and then afterwards we'll have folks come up and we'll close with the Hallelujah Chorus.
Now receive the benediction from your risen Christ. The risen Lord bless you and keep you. And the risen Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the risen Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace till he come again. Amen. If you'd come forward now, we will close with the hallelujah chorus. Thank you.